In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, uh, what I'll be preaching on today is preaching itself. Uh, And that is what the gospel lesson is about. It is about uh, the office of the holy ministry, the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments. In other words, it's about pastors and what that means for you as Christians. So uh, this is the text that while John the Baptist was in the wilderness preaching the forgiveness of sins and uh, baptizing people, the Pharisees sent Levites and priests to go and to question him. And they asked him, who are you? And John immediately says, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, so what then? Uh, Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us What do you say about yourself? And that is what they ask him. uh, And you have to uh, uh, hone in on that. What do you say about yourself? They're tying up who he is with the things that he does. They're tying these things together. So let me explain it in this way. On the one hand, if John was a special person, if he was the Christ, if he was Elijah or the long-awaited prophet, then it would follow that he has the authority to do and say all of these special things that he's saying. On the other hand, if John is just an ordinary guy, if he's not the Christ, not Elijah, not not the prophet, then it would follow that he has no authority to do or say these things. And the problem is that John looked like an ordinary guy, and yet at the same time, the things coming out of his mouth are not ordinary, He is forgiving people's sins and baptizing them and telling people to repent. How could he do that if he himself was as common as everyone else around him? So before I get into John's response to their questions, I want to point out that uh, this idea that the Pharisees had and that the Jews had is very widespread and popular even to this day. That this is the way people think of the pastoral office and the pastor himself. I've noticed that most Christians today will have an erroneous view of the pastoral office and they'll consider it in one of two extremes. The first extreme is to view the pastor as a common man doing common things. Um, So in this view, uh, the pastor is viewed and treated like an employee uh, who's hired and fired at will. And since he's just a common and regular guy, no different than anyone else, then the things he does, because he's common, then the things he does must be common and regular like everything else. So reading the Bible and preaching and handing out the sacraments and these sort of things, there's nothing more behind it than just an action. It's, preaching is just information in this view. The sacraments are just reminders and symbols. Anybody can give it out. Anybody can hand it out. And in this view, not only is the guy common and regular, but the things he does are common and regular as well. So there's nothing special about that. That's the one view. Now, the other view is the other extreme, is to view the pastor as someone who speaks and administers holy things because he himself is a holy man, different from everybody else. So in this view, these aren't just empty words with empty bread and wine. Uh, It is the very word of God, as if God himself, it is God himself speaking to you. It is the very body and blood of Christ 
that is being given to you. But, because, but this is because only in this view that the pastor, it's because the pastor is himself holy enough or greater to be doing these things. That he then has the authority and the power to make these things happen. He's one who's endowed with an indelible character, one who has a gift in mind or spirit or a heart that most people don't have. He's not a regular or common person. He's extraordinary. And he himself is holier than you. And that's why he gets to do these things. So that is the dichotomy that the Jews bring to John the Baptist. He is either a common man that, who is doing common things or he's a holier man doing holy things. And they're trying to figure out which one he is. So they ask him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And of all people in the world, John could have said, I am the greatest man born of a woman, which is 100% true. There's no man in this world born greater of more noble birth than John the Baptist. He's the greatest preacher of all time. He could have said, I am the forerunner of Christ. I've come to prepare the way for God himself in the, in the flesh. He could have pointed to himself and who he is and the great things said about him. But instead, he simply says these words. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And that is his response. In other words, who am I? I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness, and it doesn't matter who I am. What matters is who I speak of. Namely, the one whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. I am a common man, but God sent me to speak uncommon things, holy things, the very word of God itself that makes you wise unto salvation. And that, dear saints, is the right view of the pastor, is the right view of the office of the holy ministry. Pastors as men are not a special kind of Christian. They are regular, ordinary human beings, Christians who live in the same veil of tears that you do. The pastor isn't the enlightened guru or a Christian who made it to the pinnacle of the Christian life uh, or one who is sinless and without fault. The pastor isn't even one who has mastered the struggle and fight against sin and temptation. The pastor, your pastor that you had growing up, uh, your pastor that you had before you became a member of this church, the pastor that you have now, the pastor that you will have, stand before you not as one who is holier than you, but as ordinary flesh and blood, sinful and fallen as you are with a heart as breakable as yours. And that means <clears throat> that there are days when I and every pastor really love and enjoy coming to church and preaching the word. That means that there are days that we really look forward to it, to being here, to singing hymns, to talking to you, to being back in church. And, uh, and, and they, it's an absolute joy. <clears throat> and that means that there are also days when we don't. And we don't like any of these things. We don't feel like doing it. There are days when pastors don't feel like being a pastor. 
Um, there are times when we don't want to show up on a Sunday just as much as you are tempted to do the same. There are times when we are tired and living, uh, tired of living in the public eye, uh, being seen by everyone. Here at Zion, you all know my strengths, but you also know my weaknesses and my problems and my faults. And my wife and children are ordinary human beings too, uh, who need prayer and who need support and encouragement. I am a sinful husband and father, which means that we have the same issues and struggles in our home as you have in yours. That my emotions are as fickle and fleeting as yours. My mind is as forgetful and fatigued as yours at times. That I too get disappointed and angry and overwhelmed that I live in the same world you do. I watch the same news, I listen to the same radio, and I'm attacked with the same worry and temptation to anxiety as you are. There are days and months when you talk to pastors, and pastors talk to them to, amongst uh, themselves, that there are days, months, and even years when a pastor doesn't feel like doing uh, what a pastor's supposed to do. There are times when he wishes he could cut things out and say easy things, uh, say the things that will make everybody like him. Uh, he, even more, he eats his daily bread depending upon the generosity of the congregation for better or for worse. Keep that in mind. In good times and in bad times, he depends upon that generosity to live um, while knowing that he preaches a word, at the same time he does this, knowing he preaches a word that many despise, that many don't even care for. And while all of this happens, we have the constant temptation to pressure into and, and to cave into the demands of the world, to scratch itching ears, to tell people what they want to hear. And so, I mean, you have seen this so many pastors fall into the, this temptation because they're trying to protect their livelihood. Uh, pastors get sad and worried when they see division in the congregation and strife, when there's conflict coming up amongst members. All of these things that affect you affect him and his family. <clears throat> now, I'm saying all of this not to throw a pity party for myself and other pastors, uh, not to say woe is me and garner sympathy or I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm saying this because it's simply the truth. It's just the reality of it. God could have chosen a sinless and perfect angel from heaven to do this work. He could have ripped open the heaven and spoken to you directly. But God has chosen to send a common, lowly, poor, miserable sinner to stand before you. One who is plagued by all of the same things that you are. God puts in front of you a common man, a lowly man to preach things into your heart that are far more excellent and beautiful than this world in all of its knowledge could ever come up with. God chose to send a poor, lowly, mortal man to speak immortal words into your hearts. He chooses a normal guy to preach to you about the Christ, the one whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. 
In John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus tells those common men, his disciples, he says these words. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Luke chapter 10, Jesus says this to his disciples again. He says, the one who hears you, hears me. In Matthew 28, he says, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is remarkable. Because you see this in the divine service itself. At the beginning of the service, when we're all confessing our sins, uh, if you notice, if you pay attention, you'll see me stand here and I turn around and I face the altar with you. And I say too, along with you, that I am a poor, miserable sinner who deserves your temporal and eternal punishment. And it's 100% true. And yet, a few seconds later, you see me turn around and face you and then say, as a called and ordained servant of the word, I announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, The pastor is a poor, miserable sinner, and yet God has chosen to speak his word. God, God has chosen to forgive your sins through my mouth. Through my voice, through, he uses my throat, the throat of your pastor, his vocal cords, his lips, his mouth to say, I forgive you your sins, to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to say, take and eat. This is the body and blood of Christ. And that the power of this is not coming from who he is, but of the word which is spoken. That it is the Lord himself who does this, even through a lowly common man. Now, the question is, why would God do that? Why would he do it this way? Why would he choose someone who stutters and stammers like Moses to be a prophet? Why would he choose someone who is as inconsistent as David? Why would he choose someone like John the Baptist or Paul or even me? Uh, If it were up to us, we would imagine we're going to think and say, what does a pastor look like? who, Who would we choose for this? Well, let's get the strongest man. Let's get the best leader. Let's get the most noble, the most intelligent guy, the most personable guy we can find. Let's get the guy who knows business well, who can turn a profit, who can work with numbers, uh, a guy who at least knows math, (laughs) uh, a guy who can come up with plans to grow the church, these sort of things. But God doesn't do that. He chooses the lowly one. And the reason is this. In 1 Corinthians, he says this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even the things that are not, that is the nothings and the nobodies, 
to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus and became uh, to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That God chooses these poor and lowly men throughout all history. So you don't cling to the one who preaches, but so you cling to the one he preaches about. Namely, Jesus Christ, your dear Lord, who though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor in order that you might become rich in him. All pride in ourselves is excluded as a pastor, as a Christian in the church. It doesn't matter how, uh, how the man or the pastor feels on any given Sunday. When I was called and ordained to this congregation, <clears throat> I never promised to feel like preaching. I promised to preach. <laughs> I didn't make a vow to preach what I want. I made a vow to preach what God said and to endure whatever blessing comes with it, whatever persecution comes with it, and whatever disappointments come with it. God chooses lowly things, lowly men to preach his word so that all glory goes to him. All the praise and the honor for your salvation and the growth of the church does not go to your pastor ever for a second, not an ounce to him. It goes only to Christ alone. He does it. It is his voice. It is his work, his word, and his gospel. And as he does this, he mocks the devil and all the intelligence and the wise in the world and the wisdom of the world and proclaims salvation through the mouth of a sinful mortal. So, dear saints, that is all John the Baptist is. And that is all I am too, a voice. I'm here today, but tomorrow I may not be. My body will fail me one day and God will take me. My days here may be long or they may be short. I don't know and it doesn't matter. I don't know how to help you and advise you. What you need most is the thing that I don't have in me, something I don't hold in my hands. I'm not Moses, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not Jesus. I can't save you but I preach of the one who can and the one who does. So what matters is not how long I live or how long I'm here. What matters is what I say. What matters is not me, but the one who comes after me. What matters is not you, but the one who comes after you. The one who was long before us that I may waver and fail, but God won't. And I am in as much need of this sermon as you are. The God you need most is the God that I and every pastor and preacher and prophet and apostle has needed to. We both need the same God who took on flesh, who was laid into a lowly manger. We need the same God who grew in wisdom and stature only to be beaten down and hung on a cross. We both need the same Jesus who prayed for us, who wept for us, who bled and died for us. And this is the God we have. So, dear saints, <clears throat> when the day comes that I can't preach to you anymore, uh, either from illness or disease or another call or whatever it might be, when that day comes, 
I want you to remember that that's just what's supposed to happen. I will wither away and die, and every other pastor you've had and will have will do the same. But the word will not. That this word will remain forever. And when those days come, another whom God has chosen will stand up in this pulpit and preach to you the same word. To your children and to your children's children. And it will be a different voice, but it will be the same word. And you go and you find that word wherever it is being preached. If it's here or if it's somewhere else. If you have to drive five hours to go here on a Sunday, then you go and you do that. If you have to sell your house and move to another country to find peace and to to gather together in peace and hear the word of God in its purity and its clarity, then you do that. Don't hesitate. You get up and do that. You get up and go because it is worth the effort. It is worth the trouble. It is worth the cost. You go and you find the voice that is preaching Christ and him crucified, taking away your sins blessing you with salvation, promising to wipe away every tear. You go and find that voice. And if it's in the wilderness, if you have to, and you go and you make your home there. The word you're hearing right now was preached long before we took our first breath. And this word will be here long after we take our last. The gospel is going to far outlive you and me. We're going to be dust in the ground. Heaven and earth will pass away. But this word will not. It will remain forever. So go and listen to the voice that preaches your dear Savior who loves you, who gave himself up for you. Go and listen to that voice. And don't be discouraged by the lowliness of your pastor or the one who speaks it because God has chosen to speak it through him. And you find that voice and you listen to Jesus speak to you through that voice until the day he calls you home. Until the day he no longer uses sinful and lowly men to speak it. Until the day you hear his own voice with your own ears. So may God bless you at the close of this Advent season. And remember that soon, soon you will see the one that I preach about. Soon you will see the greater one who comes after me. Soon you'll see the one with your own eyes whose sandals I'm not unworthy to untie. Lord, haste that day. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.